this message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. It is our prayer that you will be blessed by the preaching of God's Word. Amen. Would to God that all of our hearts would cry out to God in praise, because our hearts cry out often, but many times it cries in self-preservation or it cries for something else, but all of our hearts would cry out in praise. Hope you're still in number 17. Before we get to number 17, I'm going to read to you in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4. I'm going to look at that verse. Our middle, some of our middle schoolers and high school students came a little early tonight. We're calling it the exchange of the middle school leaders and high school leaders um, have an opportunity to hear how their week is going, also to help prepare them for the lesson tonight by doing a review of last, week, uh, last sermon and then this one, uh, so to help get the context. And I really love that we get to go through books of the Bible together. I'm learning so much as we've been doing that for several years now. And um, there's, three story, there's three things that um, happened over the last few weeks uh, that you're going to see in Hebrews 9 that bring this part of the Bible together. Hebrews 9.4 says, Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the gold pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the table of the covenant. And so the ark of the covenant had three things inside of this box that was overlaid there in gold. You know, you've probably heard before, think outside the box, we're told to do. Taco Bell told us to think outside the bun, you know, to think inside the tortilla. But I'd like to challenge you tonight to think inside the box, because there's three things that happen which bring this part of the Bible together. And the three things, and you probably caught it, was the golden pot that had the manna in it, um, this provision from God, uh, Aaron's rod that budded, and that's our story tonight in number 17, and then the tablets of the covenant. And so we know, um, even though it's said backwards there in Hebrews, uh, that we're now to the third thing that's going to go in that box. They've already got the manna, they've already got the tablets that were there, and there's this. And what brings the three things together is that all three of them, um, God brought during a time where the people were complaining. There was an issue of the heart uh, that needed to be addressed. All the way from the Ten Commandments even till now, we have this overarching message where God is communicating with his people. And we'll see it once again here in a number 17. And the story was simple, um, 12 verses, pretty straightforward. But I want to make sure that you get it because you need to know what the story is as we, we look at what God is teaching his people. So Alex handed out some rods here to you. And um, so if there was 12 of you that have rods, if you could come up here to the front and I will play Moses, as I say. Because I have the best beard. All right, four, what are you doing? Sergi, you're always an overachiever, okay? And so if you'll come and face me, Daniel loves the attention, all right? If you'll face me and turn around. And um, so there's the 12 tribes that have come here. And um, one tribe represented um, Levi. And uh, we'll let that be Brother Clap, all right? And uh, bring it, come front and center, Brother Clap. That's what happens when you're late, the class, all right? And um, so... And so we have the Godswood tribe, and we know them as being Polish people. And, and so we have the different tribes that are here. But then Levi's tribe was, um, it didn't say Levi on it, it said Aaron, because he was a representative there for them. And so they wrote it. And upon these, um, imagine they're a little bigger and a less um, manufactured. But <laughs> this illustration costs $4.80, people. I'm giving my very best, all right? And um, so we have this rod here, and it has their names upon it. And so we, what we have going on, and I think you remember, is that there's this contention against 
Korah had said, why does Moses and Aaron get this position? Why does Aaron get to be this priest mediator that offers the sacrifices? Why can't we all do it? Which kind of made sense, didn't it? It showed this desire to be involved, and it kind of makes sense. Like, there's multiple ways to get to God because he's so loving. It kind of makes sense besides the fact that it's not true. But other than that, it kind of feels right. And so he said, I'm going to show you. And so the the world opened up and ate Korah and those that were around them, and they disappeared. The censors came, and that big group, 250 men, they all died, and, and then it showed that though there was one censor, Aaron, who runs out there, and as this plague is going out there and killing the people, Aaron runs out there and he stops the plague. He's between the living and the dead, and he's saying, you rebellious people, God has provided a mediator and me to save you. We see that in our missionaries running out there between the living and the dead and saying, you rebellious people, God's provided a mediator between you and God and look to him and trust him. And so you would think that would be enough. He addresses the rebellion, but now he's going to address something at verse number uh, five. And it shall come to pass that man's that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom. Um, so we're going to see a picture, a type of Christ. You're going to see. As Jesus in the New Testament in the resurrection was proven that he is the mediator. And I think you know that's coming. The gospel is going to be presented. But I want you to see the reason that he does it. And whom I shall blossom. And I will make the cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel. Whereby they murmur against you. So the gospel is going to be proclaimed and showed and demonstrated again. And he says the reason is I'm going to stop the murmurings um, in your heart. And uh, we see the gospel time and time again in the book of Numbers, even to the point, Brother Bateman, where I'm like, I don't know that I want to preach the gospel again, the good news, because every time we get together, we just see man's sin and God being merciful, and we say, let's celebrate the gospel time and time again. So we hear the gospel, but verse number 5 tells us that he is showing them the gospel for the purpose of telling their murmuring hearts to hush, be quiet, to stop thinking this way. And so here we go. We got the 12 tribes, and it said that they all put their, their, their rods, and they was taken. All right, I'll take these up here, and then you can go back to your seat. That was your acting debut. You did such a great job right there. And um, Brother Jonathan, don't go anywhere, please, okay? And uh, so I got these 12, and then it says um, on the morrow, the next day, so a night passes, and the next day we have here, they come back. And they all get their their rods, and they're just like this. But Aaron's rod had blossomed. This is beautiful, isn't it? The only reason you're here is because I know Sherry P is going to take a picture of you. And uh, that's what she does. All right, thank you, Brother Jonathan. I'll take that back. And so um, you want to keep it? Oh, you can go sit down. Yes, sir. I really enjoy um, bossing our local uh, police authority around. And so the whole illustration was just for that opportunity uh, there. And so there's the 11 tribes, and they come back, and they're just like they were uh, before. It's struggling, isn't it? And uh, so these are just like they were before. They were put in at night, and they were picked up the next day, and there was no change. Dead, wood, lifeless, nothing spectacular about it. This one, it was went from dead to budding, and there was life about it. And we, and we learned some wonderful things uh, from this story But before we get into it, I just want to remind you that nothing changes in our lives until God speaks. There's nothing in our lives happen until we hear from God. 
When you think about your testimony in life and you think about God, all the things that he did, there might have been a lot of circumstances that go on, but it wasn't until you heard from God, from his word, and responded that anything really make a difference. Job says it like that. He says, you know, there's a whirlwind, a hurricane, but then I heard the voice of God. And all those circumstances aren't God speaking. Those circumstances cause us to listen to him already speaking to us, which is, a, which is encouraging to us, which means when things are crazy that God's speaking and when things aren't crazy, he's still speaking, but he uses that to, to draw our attention uh, to him. And you just wonder, how did they ignore this message? I mean, the world opened up and swallowed these people up, and then the next day they keep complaining and murmuring. I mean, I think I could do a little bit better uh, than that. And speaking of God speaking, I'm probably going to need this Bible. All right? And, um, and so they, you would think they would have understood that this was a big deal, but the next day they start complaining. And then, then this thing happens with the rod, and I'm not taken away from it because I can't make that happen. But at the end of the verse, it said that they, it's, the wording is like they're drowning. They're like, oh, no, we're undone. We can't do anything. You made this thing bud and ours didn't, and we are just hopeless and nothing could happen. And I just wonder, why in the world are you acting this way? And before you didn't act this way, what was the difference? They heard from God, that God got through to their hearts. And now that they've heard from God, they respond. Uh, This week, Bryce got in my car, uh, my nephew, and I drive him to school a few days a week. And he got in. The first thing he said was, Um, He said, in the Bible, a man killed a sheep. And his eyes got real big. And he just looked at me. I'm like, that's true, Bryce. In the Bible, we killed a lot of sheep. And he just smiles like, that's awesome, isn't it? That's that's all he had to say to me that morning. But he was just amazed by a story in the Bible. And um, we get over that. We could understand. I don't really understand how the world opens up and they don't hear God. But I understand that God is speaking and I'm ignoring him so often. But nothing changes until we hear God speak. And And then you wonder, how can God continue to deal with these people? I mean, all that he's already shown to them, why is he going to take another step? Why is he going to show Aaron's rod a budding? Why should they be showed this grace? And we need ears to hear from God. Because we are his sheep, we hear his voice and we obey. Here's a story. That's about against deacons. A lot of illustrations and books are against deacons. Sorry, Brother Chuck, Brother Micah. But in this story, this pastor was dealing with a building program, and he couldn't get this one man um, on board. So his plan was all the deacons met without this other man, and they came up with a game plan, and they said, I'm going to set this man to the right side of me, and um, you're all going to sit at the table, and I'm going to start on my left side, and we're going to go around And all of you are going to stand up and say how great an idea it is. And then by the time we get around, this last guy won't have an option but to agree with us because he knows they're outnumbered. And they felt like they were really smart and they connived this plan to make it work. Well, they sit down and it happens and everybody goes around and says that they stand with this plan to move forward. And the man to the right stood up and he had his hat in his hand and tears came to his eyes and he said, Men... I've been reading the word, and I've been praying, and God got a hold of my heart the other night, and I don't want to stand in the way. I am with this church, and I've already made decisions to, to make a financial donation to help. And that pastor said it just broke his heart because all the planning you do in the world has nothing in comparison to when people hear from God. We just trust, and we hear from God, and we know that, that God's done things in our lives, and, and we weren't. We weren't growing, we weren't moving, even big things were happening because we just weren't hearing from God. And Job said, then, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, that God speaks in the midst of all this. And we do hear from God 
and we can from his words. And we need to hear from God, especially when we realize that we're surrounded uh, by death. And so these people there, they needed to hear from God. They had seen these amazing things happen. The earth had opened, and now they're, they're just crying out to God. And every tribe brought a lifeless rod. Every tribe but one took a dead stick home uh, with them. God had spoken, and they recognized their inability to produce life. I forget who was telling it. Um, maybe it was I was talking to the Deemers the other day on Sunday, and they were talking about how uh, they had uh, went through um, a CPR class. And in the CPR class, they learned that there wasn't any reason to breathe into the person's mouth. How many of you have taken CPR before in here? How many of you were taught that after you do this a while, you should breathe into the person's mouth? All right. Well, they said that studies are showing that it doesn't do much good to do that. They should wait for oxygen because, you know, you breathe out carbon dioxide and you'd be better off focusing on this because you're not breathing in life-giving oxygen to them. It's something like 4%. And so you come to that realization that we can't bring life to anything. Now, they came, they laid it there, and they looked at it, and the same rod they brought was the one they were taking back, and they're holding in their hands, and they said, this is what I'm able to produce. This is able, what I'm able to do. Nothing. But God took Aaron's rod, and he made it bud um, there. And so they see that. And we come to that realization, and we cry out to God and say, God, I've had my life in my hand, and I just can't do anything with it. I can't produce anything good with it. I can't change myself. I can't make anything happen. I am just lifeless, and I am dead. And we learn that God has, spoke, has spoken to us clearly through Christ Jesus. He bears fruit, and we are dead. Jesus Christ is greater than Aaron, and we see that in the book of Hebrews. Aaron was chosen of God as the role of the mediator, and Hebrews 5, 4 tells us that Jesus was chosen. And no man taketh his honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to made a high priest, but he said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. So Aaron being the type of Christ here in the New Testament, God said, I chose Jesus. He is the way um, that he will live and he will die, and he is the way to be reconciled unto the Father. Aaron lived his life as a priest, but stopped making intercession upon his death. Hebrews 7.22, like the way it says it here, it says, but by so much was Jesus made surety a better testament, and they truly were many priests, but because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. There was a lot of priests, but something happened and they couldn't do it anymore. What was it? They died. You can't continue on um, in your job uh, when you die. But this man, Jesus, because he continues ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them, that he always lives, so he always makes intercession for us. He never stops. And God verified he chose Aaron and Jesus through a miracle of power over life. And so all those people left that day saying, we know that God chose Aaron because he took something that was lifeless and he brought life to it. And for Aaron, it was a rod and the almond tree, the first fruit of the winter. As it's getting cold now and the spring is going to come and we wait for things to start coming back and maybe you have some flowers planted outside your house and there's that one plant that when it starts to warm up and life is coming, you wait for it. Well, for these people, it was that almond um, plant there as they begin to see it they would know that the winter is over and the spring was coming god was validating aaron through judgment and by the bearing of fruit so through the judgment god was validating the mediator and now through this bearing of fruit 
and Jesus and the resurrection. All those who wish to claim that they're the mediator, the high priest between God and man, they still lay dead, but our Jesus continues to live on. The bodies of Muhammad, Buddha, Joseph Smith, they're all in the graves, and you know that, but so are the bodies of anybody who thought they could be their own mediator between God and man. They lay there, and there's no life to it, but our Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for us. And God continues to validate the authority he gives by the bearing of fruit. That God said, I'm going to validate Aaron. I'm going to show by the bearing of fruit. God reveals he is the one true God over and over by showing his power to judge and his ability to show grace. And you notice here, it's not just a rod, but it's a fruit-bearing rod. Dads, you know that in our homes, it's best that we understand that our kids best understand the authority is given to us and by God, by the fruit that we bear, that it's just not a lifeless rod that gives us authority, but it is a fruit-bearing rod that shows that God is working in our lives, that God gave us the authority, but he didn't stop there. He is still working inside of our church, uh, inside of our family. Inside of the church, we submit willfully and joyfully submit ourselves to those who have addicted themselves to the work of the ministry. That's how it's said in 1 Corinthians 6.15, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth us and laboreth. That inside of the church that we submit ourselves one to another and God um, validates this work by bearing a fruit. That he shows that he's doing something uh, there. He offers us a way um, of escape. I don't really like corn mazes very much. We take the teenagers usually once a year. I just don't understand it. Uh, you pay these people more money than you should to walk through their cornfield, and you try to get lost. And so there's about two ways to go about it. You can either like not look at a map and be lost the whole time, like, ah, oh, this is crazy, we're running around, and that's 80% of the teenagers. Or then you have the other 25% says, I'm in a maze, I've got to get out of here. And they follow the map, and they're out in like seven minutes. And it feels like, why did we pay money to do that? And you kind of got to be in the middle uh, to really um, enjoy it. But I don't enjoy being stuck in this maze, um, and you come to this place where I have to get um, out of it. And we've all got to this place before where we're just in this maze of sin, and we complain about the hand that God has dealt us. We murmur how we just want to run our own lives or things are better, or we murmur because we know that we have run our own lives, and now we're just trapped, and we cry out. That's what verse number 12 um, is about. It's this saying that... Um, they say here, and the children of Israel spake in the most, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. Whosoever cometh anything near unto the tabernacle, the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? So they wanted this job. They wanted to take Aaron's job. And now they're like, we can't even come near it. Not only can we not do his job, we can't even walk by it. We can't even look at it. We're just drowning and suffocating in our own sin. And we're hopeless. And they're stuck here in this maze. And they cry out here. And our Father responds. They complain the hand that is dealt to them. But God responds, and he will certainly threaten with punishment and he'll execute, keeping them from the promised land, swallowing people up in the earth. But he also graciously provides a way of escape. He is showing this to them in the midst of the rebellion. He continues to keep loving, even though he, to continue to keep rebelling against their love. They rebel against his love. He keeps loving uh, the rebels. And so the children of Israel have come to the realization that they did not have it in them to solve their own problems. And so they look up, 
And they see the person on the bridge in the corn maze and they say, excuse me, me and my friends were idiots and we don't know how to get out of here. Please send somebody to save us. Come and help us. We are stuck in this maze as if they were suffocating. And it's during these times in the book Temptations, it says that God feels so distant when we, um, when lust takes control at that moment, God is unreal to us, which means in our sin, God feels so distant to us. He feels so unreal to us that in this maze we just have to cry out to god and that's what's happening in verse number 12 and 13 they just come to the end of the maze and they say god we cry out to you we are hopeless and they came to that realization but god was not far away from them he was just simply being ignored first corinthians 10:13 uses that language it says there hath no temptation taken you but such as common to man but god is faithful but will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but you will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it they were not able to bear it they had been murmuring in their hearts and their hearts were crying out and their hearts were complaining and they just could no longer bear it because they could not fix their own problems and god offers a way of escape and in the next chapter, God's going to detail Aaron's role um, as a priest. He says, you wanted something that you couldn't do, and now you've got yourself into this mess, and you're crying out and you think things are hopeless, but that's not the case. I've offered a way of escape, and that is in Jesus Christ. And just because we can't do it ourselves doesn't mean it sh- we should be hopeless. We must look to the one that can. This is true in salvation, and we know that, but this is also true in temptation. Do not lose hope because you can't get out of the maze of sin. You were not made for that role. You weren't made to get out because God has offered a way of escape. We should look to Jesus. We should listen to the gospel. We need to listen to the gospel. I've never read the book um, by Homer, the Odyssey uh, there. I think maybe in high school I signed a piece of paper that said that I read it one time, and some of you did too, Uh, but I didn't read it. Uh, But there's this group of people, the Argonauts, and they're out on this ship, and they're looking for... Um, Odessus, they're looking for this golden fleece. And as they're going out, they get in this um, Isle of Sirens. And um, as they come near it, um, they, there's these creatures. This is not the Bible. Those of you that just woke up and don't know where you're at, I'm not in the Bible right now. Okay? And so there's these creatures, and they're half bird, and they're half females, an odd creature. And so when they get near them, they're singing this beautiful song, and it, it draws them in. And so people come and they crash their ship up against this aisle because these things draw them in and it's, it's a beautiful sound and it says, we will tell you all the wisdom of the world, you're wonderful, and it just seduces them in. Well, Odessus here, he said, I'm not going to fall for that, so he pulls wax in his ears and he, he fills it up. And then he does that, but then he wants to hear it. So he ties himself to the mast of the ship, and he's listening to it. And he wants to break loose, and he wants to swim out there and take the ship near it, but he can't because he is tied up, he is prevented. Well, that's one way to take care of it, but the next time they go through this, um, there's a guy, and he can sing, he's a musician. And so this time, instead of filling his ears with wax and tying himself up so that he doesn't take the ship into a wrong place, this guy sings beautiful music that is just absolutely incredible and so he sits there upon the ship and he listens to it and they pass by the aisle with disdain and no interest you can tie yourself up you can fill your ears with wax but temptation is going to get you every time or you can crank up the volume on the gospel in your life and you can sail past that temptation and there's a way of escape and it's listening to the gospel 
It's seeing the gospel. It's listening to it. It's who's the most important person you're going to share the gospel with every day. It's you and the early morning. And as we do that, we'll, we'll do that with other people. And so the gospel tells our restless hearts to be quiet. The gospel tells our restless hearts to hush. Those people said, you know, we think we can do this on our own. And then the rods come and they're walking away with these dead sticks. And they're like, oh, no, we are undone. And God says, hush. I've taken care of this thing for you. Let your hearts be silenced here. We have all been guilty of thinking we have a way that should be better. Unbelief about who God is, the life of the unrepentant sinner, he condemns them to hell. The unbelief in the heart of of this unrepentant sinner is going to condemn them, and their hearts are looking for something. Eric is driving through India right now, and he's seeing people worship false gods, and their hearts are restless. But the gospel says, silence. Stop your searching. I am the one true God. I will satisfy you. Unbelief in the life of a Christian condemns us to life of ineffectiveness. It says because of their unbelief, you couldn't do great work. But that heart that we have that isn't, that's murmuring and that's complaining, that this doesn't seem satisfied, it is keeping us from seeing wonderful things that God wants to do with our lives. Hearing the gospel is the prescription for the complainers. So we're hearing the gospel again, but verse number 5 says, not just for rebellion, but because your hearts are not silent, because they are murmuring. When I was in college, I sold windows and roofs for Reynolds and the company with aluminum foil. They also had another business. And no matter where I went, I sat down with somebody, and we would make up an estimate. I, I had one product, and I said, this is exactly what you need. No matter what they told me, I would mark on a piece of paper, and when they got done, I said, I have a product, and it's exactly what you need, no matter what the situation was. No matter what you're dealing life in here, even if you're an unbeliever, I have exactly what you need. You know that for the unsaved person, but Christian in here, whatever issue of the heart's going on, whatever temptation you have, I have exactly what you need. The same prescription for many different ailments. It's the gospel here. And the gospel message is not just the message we carry, but it is a message that carries us on this journey. And missionaries, it's so important you know this because if you cannot be satisfied by the gospel, then your presentation of the gospel is never going to draw men. It is never going to seem like it provides satisfaction for a lost person if it's coming from an unsatisfied heart. And the same for all of us in here as well. The gospel message is also a message for those that are dying without him because of discontentment. Not for those that are just dying in their sin, but those that are dying because of discontentment. We must have our hearts settled before we preach and live a clear gospel. Peter addresses Paul in Galatians. I look at this often because Peter didn't understand something. He was afraid of what people would think of him, so he stood up and he separated himself from the Gentiles. And Paul said, you're not making the gospel clear, buddy. Because of your heart, because of you're afraid of what other people are thinking, you're presenting an unclear gospel. And in our lives, we present an unclear gospel if our hearts aren't settled if they're not content um, in him. And so God whispers to us, Matthew 10, we've already looked at, says, what I tell you in the darkness, that you speak in light, that you hear in your ear, that you preach upon the housetops. And so to the teenage girls in here, you desire to be loved, to be accepted, and you're looking for that. And so he whispers in your ear that you are loved and you are accepted and you don't have to audition anymore. And when he does that and he settles your heart and you know you're complete in him, then you need to go proclaim that upon the housetop. And you need to go tell every other teenage girl that has a heart that desires to be accepted and loved that they are in Christ Jesus. 
Mom's in here at times, you don't feel like you measure up, and he whispers into your ear that he has dealt with everything in life that you don't feel like you measure up with, and he will sustain you. And you should go proclaim that to everybody else as well. Missionaries who fear that they'll not be able to produce, you should listen to him tell you that you would be a dead, dry stick among other sticks, but he has a wonderful plan for your life, and he is going to show fruit in your life, and he's going to draw people to that wonderful message. And so in Hebrews 9, 4, and 5, I don't think I mentioned this earlier. I know I didn't, but listen to this. It says, Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid with the golden with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant, there's our box, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which it cannot speak particularly meaning I wish I had more time to talk about it, but right now we don't. And he says, upon this box that has these three things that show your past failures and your past sin and your heart that wasn't settled and your complaining and your murmuring, I'm going to put that underneath the mercy seat and nothing is going to move it because he shows mercy to us. Moses said that God would make a new thing in bringing judgment to Korah. He says, God, do a new thing and let everybody know. Not just die of old age, but do something new. Because judgment is not the rule, it's the exception. God's plan A is to show mercy. God delights and has a long record of showing mercy in here. So all of you who came in here tonight and you said, my heart was not settled and I'm a complainer and these things are happening, I want to do things my own way, or you came in here and you're in this maze of temptation and you can't overcome it, no, he wants to show mercy to you. If you are concerned because you know at the heart of all sin is this section for God, in his way. At the heart of all sin is a dissatisfaction for God in his ways. God will forgive you and offer you a way of escape. We call that the gospel. They are, there are nations, subdivisions, and living rooms filled with people who are trying to make their own way to God. And when you show them Jesus, some will respond and recognize it unlike others because um, he has a power to make the rod bud and to produce fruit. And so can I ask you in here, is your heart settled by the gospel? Did you come in here recognizing that he can help you overcome that temptation, that he can produce fruit in your life, and he can do all those things that you can't do on your own? And as we go past that aisle of temptation or whatever it is you're facing, turn up the sound on the gospel and listen to it and talk about it and see it and see that just as that, bud, as that rod budded, our Savior had died and he rose again validating that he is our mediator and that he now lives forever to intercede for us. And he's doing that. As you will pray there in your seat and say, God, forgive me or whatever it is, Jesus intercedes for you. And he says that's been paid for upon the cross. And so our message to this community and this world cannot be loud unless our hearts have been silenced by understanding the gospel. And so whatever he whispers in your heart right now, whatever issue he deals with, take it in. And tomorrow, go proclaim it to somebody else because there's no temptation among us that isn't common among all men. So whatever it is you're dealing with, the gospel is going to heal, then go out tomorrow and share it with other people and let them know that you have found what they're looking for, that you have found the answer for their heart that is crying out. And so we'll leave here as Ed has sung that all of our hearts will be silenced and as we leave here, our hearts will cry out and praise the hymn. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the gospel. Thank you how it's the prescription to our hearts. As we audition and we try to be so many things that we're not and we find ourselves up against the wall, 
the gospel gives us answers, and I thank you for it. Lord, I pray that we will never get so far removed from the simplicity of your message and how you loved us and how you died for us, and that is enough, Lord, to satisfy all our deep uh, longings. I pray for my brothers and sisters now, Lord. I pray that they will speak to you, and I thank you that they have an intercessor in your son. This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfred, Georgia. For more information, log on to www.visionbaptist.com, where you can find our service times, location, contact information, and more audio and video recordings.